When I was in private equity, I was given the very unenviable job of interviewing all the prospective hires as sort of the first round. And so I must have interviewed hundreds of 20-somethings. And I learned over time that you learn almost nothing about someone from a standard interview. The questions are predictable. The answers are canned. They know what you want to hear. It's very difficult to get a sense of the real person. And over time, I got frustrated with this, and I wanted to ask deeply inappropriate interview questions like, tell me about a time you suffered, or describe the worst moment in your life. When I was in college, one summer I interned in Washington, D.C., and I was at a party that some friends of my parents threw, and I met some of their friends. And one couple in particular stood out. They were very standoffish, very cold, disagreeable, quiet, withdrawn, unfriendly. And, you know, I was 20 at the time, and this couple, I think, were in their 50s. And they were very well-dressed and obviously very wealthy. And I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder at that time. And so I almost effortlessly disliked them. Later, I found out that several years previously, their son had been driving three of his friends home when they got into an auto accident and all four boys died. The parents of the three passengers spent the next few years suing the dead driver's parents this couple who was at the party. And just before the party, they had finally finished years of litigation. Now, I can't imagine how horrible it has to be to have to relive the death of your child over and over, defend his actions in a court of law over and over against people who had to be close friends of the couple before this happened. I knew none of this. All I knew was that I didn't like how they acted during a party. And I realized how poorly I had judged those people, that couple. And yet those good intentions lasted about a day, maybe two, and I went back to prejudging people. Another story. The neighbor of a friend of my mother's, her husband has a habit in the evenings of going down and having a snack. He likes peanut butter and crackers. One evening, He was slow to come back to bed, 
and she got concerned and she came downstairs to find him laying on the kitchen floor choking. The the crackers and the peanut butter had blocked his throat. She desperately tried to clear his throat, failed, and watched him die in her arms. Now, I've never met this woman, but if I did, I guarantee you, I would have no sense of the tragedy and the suffering she's gone through. Another story. I was in the sauna last week and an old man came in and basically took out an ointment, a very smelly ointment or lotion, and put it over his body and, you know, sort of stunk up the place. It's a small sauna and the smell was very strong. And I thought he was being really obnoxious and I wanted to say something. I didn't. A couple days later, I went into the sauna and he started talking to me. Now, you know, he had or he has old man syndrome, which is the term I use to describe someone who's old, clearly very lonely, and has no one to talk to. And so often when they meet people, they will simply talk at them in this sort of nonstop flow of words that leaves little room for back and forth or interruption. As I get older, I definitely see this habit starting to form in myself. So he talked at me for about 20 minutes straight, describing something that had happened to him. About 16 months earlier, he experienced a pain so intense that he basically spent three days in the fetal position. And the doctor told him, we don't really know what this is. We think it's some sort of autoimmune response to a virus. And the result is the linings of your nerves has been destroyed, stripped away. And that's what's causing this pain, the only pain we know of that's worse than childbirth. And it took him five months before he could walk. And he spent the next year in physical therapy, from which he had just come before entering the sauna. There was a guy on the Joe Rogan podcast a couple days ago who had a line I just love. He said something like, people are kind of dismissive of the term fan. Oh, you're just a fan. But I think fans are good, he said. I like being a fan. A fan is someone who wants the person to do well. I really like that idea. When I get to know someone, especially the bad stuff in their life, I become more of a fan. I want them to do well. I don't want them to suffer. 
And so I treat them better. You know, I think virtue is contagious. And so, you know, we treat people better and then they go and treat other people better. And I think happiness is contagious as well. I know when I'm grumpy, I'm a bad person. I treat people badly. And I think that makes them grumpy. When I'm happy, I'm a better person. I treat other people better. And I like to think that helps them treat other people better as well. But it's so easy, at least for me, to see the, the envy-inducing aspects of other people's lives, especially in this age of social media. I see the beauty, the possessions, the status... And, you know, we tend naturally, I think, to flaunt those things. And we, we hide our pain and our suffering. But those things are universal. You know, <laughs> you know as I say, the incidence of suffering in humans is 100%. The three stories I told are the norm not the exception. Everyone we meet has a story like that. And I think an understanding of that suffering helps us connect. It helps us see others as real people. It helps us treat them better. Okay, I think that's it for this week.